Across America, BP supports more than 275,000 jobs to keep energy flowing. Jobs like updating turbines at one of our Indiana wind farms and producing more oil and gas with fewer operational emissions in the Gulf of Mexico. It's and, not or. See what doing both means for energy nationwide at bp.com slash investing in America. Have you heard you can listen to your favorite news podcasts ad-free? Good news. With Amazon Music, you have access to the largest catalog of ad-free top podcasts included with your Prime membership. To start listening, download the Amazon Music app for free or go to amazon.com slash ad-free news podcasts. That's amazon.com slash ad-free news podcasts to catch up on the latest episodes without the ads. This is the Tom Hartman Program. Greetings, my friends, patriots, lovers of democracy, truth and justice, believers in peace, freedom and the American way. Tom Hartman here with you. Rapidly changing events in the uh, Rod Rosenstein world. MoveOn.org has this web page called TrumpIsNotAboveTheLaw.org. And they have now 400,000 people in 900 cities who have RSVP'd and said, we will go into the streets if Rosenstein is fired. So we've got that going on. At the same time, the Kavanaugh hearing is going on. And Maya Ragu is on the line with us. She is the Director of Workplace Equality and the Senior Counsel to the National Women's Law Center. NWLC.org is the website. You can tweet her at Maya, M-A-Y-A underscore R-A-G-H-U. Maya, can you hear me? Yes. Yes, I can. Yes. Okay, great. First of all, we wanted to talk about, in part, I think, you know, why women don't report these kinds of things. And at a certain level, I mean, all we have to do is look at what's going on. (laughs) Right. (laughs) The last two weeks. Yeah. But also, there's this project that I believe this is your group, the National Women's Law Center, the Believe Survivors. That's right. It's solidarity with Dr. Blasey Ford, with Deborah Ramirez, and with all survivors to show them that... We believe them. They have support and they have allies. Mm -hmm. And do you want to speak to women who don't report these kinds of things, in particular when you've got powerful men like this? Kavanaugh will become arguably more powerful than a president in some regards. You know, the ability to actually strike down laws, change the nature and character of, of America. And he's got, therefore, very powerful allies and people who want a piece of him, that sort of thing. I mean that own him and will do things on his behalf, basically to protect him. That's right. And, you know, what we've seen over the last two weeks is what's being replicated across the country and what's been going on for years, which is that for survivors, they run a very real risk of coming forward. It's a risk to their personal safety, to that of their family and their friends. You see that Dr. Blasey Ford and her family are receiving death threats. There's a fear of retaliation from their community, from their jobs and losing their jobs. And, you know, there's a lot of fear. There's a fear of not being believed, not being taken seriously, for having their motives questioned. Why are you speaking up now? Why didn't you speak up before? You're making this up. And, you know, there's also some shame and there's a lot of victim blaming that people very rightly fear. There are a lot of reasons 
that fear drives that decision. And I want to also say, you know, there are a lot of survivors who come from particular communities from whom going to law enforcement is a very complicated and fraught decision. So, you know, communities of color, especially African-Americans, LGBTQ individuals, immigrants to this country, all have very good reasons for maybe not wanting to report to law enforcement when they're the victims of sexual violence. The other thing is that Everyone experiences trauma differently. We know from the medical experts and professionals that it impacts everyone differently. Survivors respond to and process trauma differently. It's got short-term impacts. There are long-term physical and emotional and psychological impacts. So that also plays a role in terms of why some survivors don't come forward immediately or, in fact, at all. Right. And then meanwhile, we've got now, I've gotten several emails from right-wing sources or people have forwarded actually to me emails that they've gotten from listservs and things that they're parts of, you know, suggesting that this is all an effort to take down Trump, that Kavanaugh now will understand how bad Clarence Thomas had it. And we're sick and tired of these, not just women, but liberals trying to take down, you know, et cetera, et cetera. I realize you're an attorney with the National Women's Law Center, but I'm curious your thoughts on how this is playing out, the politics of this are playing out, and how they're playing out now versus, I think it was 91, was Clarence Thomas, in terms of the changes that we've seen in our culture, not just the recent Me Too. I mean, it's been, what, 25, 30 years, something like that. It's been a while. And society presumably has gotten more enlightened. So what are your thoughts on that? That was our hope, and certainly the last year in particular provided examples of how maybe our culture and our attitudes towards survivors of sexual harassment and sexual assault were changing. But given the experience of Dr. Blasey Ford, it almost seems like it hasn't, unfortunately. We will not stand by if they re-traumatize a survivor in public on national television. We hope they've learned some lessons from the terrible treatment of Anita Hill in 1991. The all-male Republican members of the Senate Judiciary Committee seemed not to have learned from that historic mistake, and they're trying to do the same thing, or worse, to Dr. Blasey Ford. You know, the Senate Republican leadership knew about the allegation, the new allegation, early last week. But instead of halting the confirmation process and calling for an investigation, they instead called for the vote to be pushed up in an effort to get their guy on the court. They are politicizing a survivor's pain. Well, and apparently, um, they, if I may interrupt, they called for moving up the date of the vote when they learned that there was a second accuser coming forward. The right. Republicans knew this before all the rest of us knew it. Right, and exactly. I think they were trying to bury that. It certainly looks that way. Right, exactly. Instead of calling for a fair, impartial, nonpartisan investigation to uncover the facts yeah. on which their decision should be based. What we're seeing now is the survivors who have come forward are being put on trial, and that's not right. It's Brett Kavanaugh's fitness for this position to be a Supreme Court justice that's at issue. This is a job interview for him, and instead the Senate Republicans are just trying to ram it through without any process. Yeah, and then back, I believe it was during the Reagan administration, Douglas Ginsburg was nominated for the Supreme Court, and it came out that he had smoked pot in high school and in college, and he withdrew his nomination. That was enough. Now, 
I don't think pot was even that big a deal back then, frankly, you know, compared to this. I'm so surprised that he hasn't just said, that's it, I'm out of here. But I guess that would be interpreted as an admission of guilt, and he doesn't want to go there. So, But then that raises the question, why isn't Brett Kavanaugh himself calling for an FBI investigation? Why is it that the women coming forward are saying, yes, bring in the FBI. We know five years in prison if you lie to the FBI. Bring them in. We want to talk to them. And Kavanaugh and the Republicans are saying, oh, we don't want the FBI anywhere near this thing. Your thoughts? Yeah. I mean, if they continue to go forward with this hearing on Thursday, the Republicans and their allies must clear a very, very high bar. You know, everyone is watching. A lifetime appointment to the Supreme Court is at stake. And if they circumvent that process or an investigation, it devalues the promise of justice for the millions of survivors in this country, especially young women and girls. What kind of message is that sending to them that your experience, your pain isn't important? What's important is the career of powerful men. Yeah. And, And that seems to be the principal focus of the Republican Party right now. Maya, thanks so much for dropping by today. Thanks so much for having me. Great talking with you. And Maya Ragu, she is the Director of Workplace Equality and Senior Counsel of the National Women's Law Center, nwlc.org. Gabe in Arcata, California, listening on AM 1480. Hey, Gabe, what's up? Well, I was just listening to the major news channels, and they just did something they're not supposed to do. They went to Susan Collins' office where there's hundreds, maybe thousands, of people in front of her office with signs saying, we do not want Kavanaugh, no Kavanaugh. Mm-hmm. But they suddenly found, we're not supposed to be covering this. This is one of the stories they don't want us at. So, bang, they had technical difficulty. We never hear another word of it. So, yeah. I back to the, the days of our old friend Alice and your show, Shows like yours are the hope for this country because they control the news media the same way they control electronic voting. Yeah, they take away our democracy. They're doing it right in front of our eyes, and there's nothing we can. Yeah, and we, and, we, and we will be talking about that some in our third hour. You know, these billionaires who are buying our newspapers too, and what's going on with our media. And yeah, Gabe, I, I thank you for the reminder on Alice. The uh, uh, very elderly woman who used to call into the program regularly with just the smartest comments, and she has since passed away, and we we all miss her. Gabe, thank you. Good talking to you. Thank you very much for the call. Barbara in St. Paul, uh, Minnesota. Hey, Barbara, what's up? Well, hello, Tom. How are you doing today? I'm great. How are you? Well, I'm hanging in there. You know, um, we have problems with water in some parts of Michigan. We have a hurricane that's in the upper part of the, Car- you know, the northern part of the Carolinas. Mm. Puerto Rico is in shambles. Uh, but yet, we are talking about this man that calls himself the President of the United States trying to get rid of the Deputy Attorney General because he does not want his family and himself to be indicted for what they're doing to this country right now. You're right. Now we have three women. For Bill Cosby, the women went way back years when he was on TV. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. He's gone. All of a sudden, here comes this guy we've never heard of before in our lives that went to an upper echelon prep school 
And preppy guys, I've been to high school, you've been to high school with the upper crust guys. They feel like they can do anything to a girl and you shut your mouth and be glad I look at you. Yep. No matter how it goes. This girl was 15. This woman was 15 years old. She ain't lying. They know she's not lying. The third woman, they know she's not lying. Now, Avenali has this third, I mean, you know, another woman. She's not lying. More women are going to come out. So we want a habitual, maybe, rapist on the Supreme Court? Why? I'm sure your question was rhetorical, Barbara, but I think it's really important yeah. to note that the Republican coalition has only been able to successfully get elected with the help of the fundamentalist white Christians, the white Christian fundamentalist movement. And their main pitch to those people has been, we'll get rid of abortion. We, we will outlaw abortion for you. So in other words, they're telling young men of persuasion, okay, any, any community, it is all right for you to rape a woman as long as we don't have abortion. I okay, these women get yep. pregnant. They're supposed to keep these babies? Why? Right. No, I, I get, I I get I, the I, illogic of it. I, I totally get the illogic of it, Barbara, and, and, it, and completely agree with you. And, and it, oh, it just, it befuddles me. Get up off yourselves, America, especially women. When I find women that don't want to agree with a woman that has been sexually abused, there's a special place in hell for them. Vote. E-O-T-E, vote. There God you go. bless America. Thanks, okay. Tom. Thank you, Barbara. Good talking with you. That was great. Norris in Louisiana. Hey, Norris. What's up? Hey, good morning, my friend. Hello, Norris. In the back of Trump's mind, when he accused Obama for bugging his phone in Trump Tower. Oh, yeah. Isn't it a possibility that he continue to believe that after the fact? Oh, I think so. I've been wishing that somebody would bug him, and I ain't never even met the man. Yeah, and, and so you... Between you, these guys that... And probably was just joking, but between a number of them, I assume that they wish somebody would do it. Yeah. And I think that the fact that he thought he was being bugged probably tells us that there was stuff going on there that he was concerned about the government knowing about. So, yeah, amen. Michael Avenatti has tweeted that he has a new client and that his new client is credible. Now, who is making an accusation against Brett Kavanaugh, and he says, warning, my client regarding Kavanaugh has previously done work within the State Department, the U.S. Mint, and the Department of Justice. She has been granted multiple security clearances in the past, including public trust and secret. The GOP and others better be very careful in trying to suggest that she is not credible. Boy, if Michael Avenatti got together with Ronan Farrow, it would be uh, pretty amazing. Norma in Montgomery, Alabama. Hey, Norma. Hi, Dr. Tom. Um, I, too, am upset with Kavanaugh's sexual history, but I also wish that people would call their senators and ask them, are they part of the group that wants to receive money from foreign dictators? Because Kavanaugh ruled in 2011 that it's legal for anybody on the planet to go ahead and create a PAC and donate to a candidate's campaign. Do we want That's a right. dictator from some weird island choosing who represents us? Wasn't he overruled in that? Wasn't that a minority decision? It's his attitude. It's I get it. No, I completely agree. But did that stand? Did that decision stand? Do you know? I don't know, but if it should be repealed and come to the Supreme Court, what do we do with it? There you go. And he's on the court. Thank you, Norma.
Thanks for listening to our podcast. Our podcasts are supported by advertising, and I'm really pleased that Quip is advertising with our program because they've got an amazing product. When was the last time you replaced your toothbrush? Do you always brush twice a day for a full two minutes? You know, these are important habits that have a huge impact on your health. And I grew up with so many misunderstandings about brushing my teeth that I, you know, that frankly, I didn't learn about until I got my Quip electric toothbrush. And they're the ones who told me, you only need a little tiny dot of toothpaste, for example. And you don't need to scrub the crap out of your mouth. You just two minutes gently with a toothbrush twice a day. You don't need to do it three times a day. You don't need to get hysterical about it. My OCD had kicked in back when I was a teenager around brushing my teeth. And I think I frankly damaged my gums going nuts with all this electric toothbrushes and stuff. Quip is a really great new electric toothbrush that's gentle and really works. It fixes those problems. It does this with a lightweight and sleek design, simple time vibrations, and guiding pulses to give you a perfect two-minute clean. Bulkier electric brushes have awkward charging stands, modes you don't need. They cost five times as much. And here's the amazing thing. Quip starts at just $25. And you can get brush head refills automatically delivered on a dentist-recommended three-month schedule for only five bucks. And shipping is free. Quip has been featured in GQ, Oprah's O-List, and Time Magazine named it one of the best inventions of the year. I agree. Go to getquip.com slash Tom, T-H-O-M, right now and get your first refill pack free with a Quip electric toothbrush. That's your first refill pack free at getquip.com slash Tom. It's spelled G-E-T-Q-U-I-P dot com slash T-H-O-M. And when you do, you're also supporting our program and our podcast. Thank you. You're listening to Tom Hartman. David in Torrance, California, watching us on Free Speech TV. What's on your mind, David? Yes, uh, I'm wondering why don't we organize a, a big, huge demonstration against this nomination of Kavanaugh? I, mean, I, I believe this is more important than anything we're going to have. Uh, it's actually, there are, there are two major demonstrations going on right now as we speak. One is at Yale, Yale University, where, where this uh, newest woman is alleging that Kavanaugh uh, you know, assaulted her, essentially, uh, with his pants yeah. down. And the law students have shut down the, the law school at Yale University, right. number one. And number right. two, outside Susan Collins' offices, and I don't know if uh, Lisa Murkowski is getting this as well, but Collins, uh, you know, has been kind of all over the map on this thing. Outside of her Senate office, the halls are jammed, right. and apparently all over Maine, her individual offices are being jammed by women who are saying, no, please don't do yeah. this. Right. I've, I've heard about that, uh, both of those demonstrations, but yeah. I believe if we can get, organize it, uh, lot larger demonstration like get a, get a million people in Washington DC this is this is going to have a huge effect on, yeah that that would be a good thing that absolutely would be a good thing david thank you for the call uh, uh, you know yes totally agree spot on Teresa in Philadelphia, Judge Kavanaugh's trials and tribulations or the trials and tribulations that he put a number of women through apparently exactly you know what i was raped when i was 16 and then again when I was 18 when I joined the military and I never told anybody and for like 40 years not until recently did I tell anybody back then for one thing there was a stigma if you said you were raped even your fellow friends would say oh my god what a horror and what did you do to um that and you know what so they were the victim um you weren't you were the ones that instigated it so 
I'm sure I'm not alone in this. In this, um, I'm sure there are millions of women in this country who have been assaulted and never. Told, I didn't even tell my best friend, yeah. not my family, nobody. I think it's on the order of you know one in three women, or or maybe maybe the number is even higher than that, and and one in four men is the the one that sticks in my head, but. But so your your suggestion, to, Teresa, is that the Kavanaugh hearings are not sympathetic to women because of the uh, age and and perspective of the men, the Republican men on the panel. It's at the bottom. Well, line. you know that's what they're saying. You know they're very not sympathetic to her, and they won't even give her a fair hearing and, and witnesses. You know what? If you're on trial, you get witnesses. So yeah. You know what? Millions of women can come there, and we can testify that you know what. We didn't tell anybody for a lot of years yeah. either. No, it's it's absolutely real. It's absolutely real. Teresa, thank you. And the and the point that I keep making is the the women are saying we'll go to the FBI. We'll we'll talk to the FBI, knowing that it's five years in prison if you lie to the FBI. And Kavanaugh and the Republicans are saying, Oh, we don't want to talk to the FBI. And that should tell you everything. Mike in Los Angeles. What's up? I just wanted to explain why the GOP convinced me last week that they believed Professor Blasey Ford's story. First, mm-hmm. they said it absolutely didn't happen because no criminal complaint was filed at the time. And then, well, it probably didn't happen. But even if he did, he was only 17. And then it was, oh, it was his evil twin. Now, if these Putin apparatchiks, who were formerly known as the GOP, had actually disbelieved the professor's story, as of last week, the FBI investigation would have been finished and they would have been waiving a positive polygraph exam for Kavanaugh and Judge. Mm. The importance to them of getting Kavanaugh on the Supreme Court is that he is Trump's get-out-of-jail-free card, at least one out of nine, as to whatever comes out of the Mueller investigation. Well, one strong advocate who we don't know the opinion of the other four conservatives on the court, although Thomas... You know, his wife worked, I assume she still does, worked for the Heritage Foundation, took hundreds of thousands of dollars from them. So having him on the court, even if he individually can't stop an investigation, he might be able to lobby effectively for stopping an investigation. Yeah, but I think the GOP is going to be in the same position that the Democratic Party was during the Civil War as a result of the Mueller investigation. Are you really for the United States or are you for this foreign power? And they seem to be rolling over for anything Trump wants. Yeah. And you compound that with the reports out. There's a new book out. In fact, we're trying to get the author on right now, suggesting that if the Russians had not intervened in the election, Hillary Clinton would be president right now. Full stop. You know, so then we have this struggle, and I want to get into this in some length and depth. If we have an illegitimate president, what does that mean? I mean, what do we do with that? Because it's not contemplated anywhere in the Constitution, to the best of my knowledge. Except impeachment. Yeah, if you would consider that high crime or misdemeanor, I think we definitely could. So, yep, we'll see, we'll see where it goes. Mike, thanks a lot for the call. Thank you. It's good to hear from you, and thanks for listening to us on KPFK. Uh, this sinister, uh, this Chuck Grassley apparently knew that the second woman was going to be coming out. Uh, Rona Farrow and Jane Mayer are reporting about Deborah Ramirez and her allegation that Kavanaugh exposed himself to her at a party uh, back you know, in college. Now, this was Yale University. This was not high school. And 
As soon as the Republicans learned about this, did they go out and say, hey, there's a new allegation. We should have an investigation. Hey, let's call the FBI. Maybe she's lying. Let's call the FBI. No, instead, which is what, you know, how if Republicans were inclined to look for the truth and they actually thought that these women were lying, that's what they would do. But obviously they know that these women are probably telling the truth, almost certainly. I mean, you know, why would you not? And now you got Michael Avenatti with a third accuser. It's getting interesting. Uh, Nancy in Renton, Washington. Hey, Nancy, what's on your mind today? Well, I, I'm just really curious why no one's upset. I read this in the Seattle Times. Mm-hmm. Both Gorsuch and Kavanaugh went to the same high school. This prep school? They, pardon me? The prep school was it Holton Arms yes. or something or yes. whatever it is? Wow. I don't think they're the same age, though. Isn't Gorsuch actually younger than Kavanaugh? But the point is, is that we're getting our justices from such a narrow... Oh, I see. Yeah. ...narrow group of people... Yeah, a narrow strata of society. ...that like a brotherhood or a hunter or something. Yeah, yeah, I... And I, I have no idea why people aren't really up in arms about that or why it's not even discussed. Yeah, and and you see, you know, most of the captains of industry came out of good schools and came from wealthy families. It's harder and harder for average people to catch a break in the United States, and that's a good example of it. Nancy, thanks for pointing all that back out to us again. Howard in Indiana. Hey, Howard, thanks for listening to SiriusXM. What's up? Martin, how are you doing? Good. One thing I'll throw out after a few days mulling all this through, I believe the crux of the issue may lie more at the doorstep of Senator Feinstein of anybody. She held evidence in that letter for, I guess, six weeks and did not tell anyone about it, mainly the other members of the city committee that were going to approve Kavanaugh. I don't think she said anything to them until the last minute. Something this serious, within two or three days, she should have them all in a meeting with copies of the letter, said, hey, people, look at this. Actually, I'm not sure what the exact chain of custody of the documents was, but the reality that we know for a fact is that the woman said to her, please do not reveal my identity. And that's why Feinstein sat on it as long as she did. And it wasn't until the press came out and said, this is who this is. This is Dr. Christine Flazy Ford that Feinstein said, "Okay, here it is. And this is not. Diane Feinstein's fault. I get it. You know, the Fox News would like to make this Diane Feinstein's fault. This is a Brett Kavanaugh problem. Helen in Fairmont, West Virginia. I was a fairly nice looking woman when I was young. I was assaulted four times. The first time when I was six, the second time when I was in my 20s, the third time when I was in my 20s, and the fourth time by my own family doctor. And everyone was aware of what this doctor did with his breast exams. He leaned over your back and gave your boobs a massage. But they thought that was okay. That was funny. I didn't think it was too funny what happened to me. And I'll tell you, you never forget it. And what chance does a 15-year-old have of going up against somebody like probably the Kavanaugh family who's wealthy or influential or else he wouldn't be in Georgetown prep? But women don't like to come forward because it's always your word against theirs. And what chance do you have when it was a man's world? It is no longer a man's world. And also, Kavanaugh, when he came out and said 
that, number one, no president should be investigated while he's in office. No president should be in, subpoenaed while he's in office. And no president should be indicted while he's in office. Well, Donald Trump's right when he said that he could shoot somebody on Fifth Avenue and nothing would happen to him. Yeah. Yeah, apparently. And, and, that, and, and that was how Kavanaugh sold himself to Trump to get on the Supreme Court. It's interesting to watch it unravel. Helen, thank you for the call. We'll be right back. If you want the absolute best shirts around, you have to go to CT Shirts. I want you to try them because once you do, you'll never go back to some random shirt off the shelf of a department store. Plus, CT Shirts come in custom sizes, so you're not messing with ill-fitted sleeve lengths or neck sizes. It's time to step up your game and look your best. So I got you a special CT Shirts deal. Three CT Shirts for $99. CT Shirts use the softest, most exquisite fabrics ever. Worker casual, tie or no tie, tucked or untucked. When you're wearing a CT shirt, you will look your best. So here's the deal. One CT shirt normally costs 100 bucks, but right now you'll get three CT shirts for just $99. That's 60% off. And CT shirts come with free delivery, a six-month quality guarantee, and free returns. If you hurry, 99 bucks gets you three amazing CT shirts. So go to www.ctshirts.com slash Tom, T-H-O-M. That's www.ctshirts.com slash Tom. So this uh, fascinating website, it's apparently put on by MoveOn.org, and it's titled, Nobody is Above the Law, Mueller Firing Rapid Response. This is from their front page. Donald Trump could be preparing to put himself above the law. We won't allow it. Trump will create a constitutional crisis if he fires special counsel Robert Mueller or Deputy Attorney General Rod Rosenstein, who oversees Mueller, or attempts to compromise the investigation by other means. Our response in the hours following a potential power grab will dictate what happens next, whether Congress will stand up to Trump or allow him to move our democracy toward authoritarianism. That's why we're preparing to hold emergency nobody is above the law rallies around the country in the event that they're needed, 900 plus of them and counting in every state with 400,000 RSVPs to date. So the website is Trump is not above the law. Dot org. Trump is not above the law. Dot org. If you want to check this out. And we'll see. We'll see where this goes. Michael Avenatti now says he represents a third woman who has credible information, both about Brett Kavanaugh and about his high school buddy, Mark Judge, who is now a right wing author or curmudgeon. He wrote a book, a kind of an autobiography, apparently, talking about his alcohol fueled teenage years. This is what Avenatti wrote. He tweeted this. I represent a woman with credible information regarding Judge Kavanaugh and Mark Judge. We will be demanding the opportunity to present testimony to the committee and will likewise be demanding that Judge and others be subpoenaed to testify. The nomination must be withdrawn. This woman that Avenatti is representing is not Deborah Ramirez, who is the woman who came forward via the New Yorker article with Ronan Farrow and Jane Mayer. So three it's starting to look like Trump. I mean, Trump's got, what, 19? 19 women now who have come forward and said that, you know, he's grabbed them and kissed them and done whatever he's done. With regard to Rod Rosenstein, so who's going to replace Rosenstein if he leaves? There's some interesting speculation about that. If you want to have it long term, if you want to have somebody who's actually 
doing the job, who's there, all that sort of thing, then you need to have somebody who has been confirmed by the Senate in some other capacity because that position requires Senate confirmation. Now, there are provisions to have temporary people in there, but Josh Gerstein has written a nice piece over at Politico about this, the headline, What Happens If Trump Fires Rosenstein? And he's suggesting, number one, Trump could dump Sessions. This would be an opportunity. I think that's unlikely, before the election. Number two, he could override the established secession plan. He could take any Senate-confirmed U.S. attorney or cabinet member. He could move Betsy DeVos into this position. He could move any of the U.S. attorneys that he has gotten through the Senate. He could move any of them into this position. In 2001, White House counsel Alberto Gonzalez issued a memo saying the Justice Department's own secession policies take precedent over presidential decisions. But the Justice Department's Office of Legal Counsel reversed that in 2007. So apparently Trump can do pretty much whatever he wants. And if he follows that plan, then probably Noel Francisco would be, who is the Solicitor General, the guy who argues at the Supreme Court on behalf of the administration. He would be the guy, although the, the reports so far are that he has no enthusiasm for it. What do we do? How do we respond to this? Are you going to be out in the streets? Your thoughts on all these issues right after this. Tom Harmon University Book Club. Today we're reading from a book written by my old friend, Dennis Weaver. He has passed away. I wrote the foreword to this book, um, just FYI. It's called All the World's a Stage, and it's Dennis's autobiography. Uh, Dennis Weaver, Chester and Gunsmoke, you know, all that kind of stuff. Um, he's talking about early in the Depression. This is from page uh, 17. It's just kind of telling his early life. Early in the Depression, it became clear that people had to eat He's talking about the 1930s, um, when he was a, a young boy. Early in the Depression, it became clear that people had to come together and support each other, or many would just not survive. Not being cooperative and neighborly was not an option. If our neighbors were in trouble, we would not think twice about helping them. We just did it. I remember a family named Hardy bought the 10 acres next to our farm. There was nothing on that land except woods. The men in the surrounding area got together on weekends to cut down the trees and made logs to build a house, a real log raising. Within six or seven weekends, they built a log home for the Hardy family to live in and a shed for their cows. Children had lots of fun. We played games and jumped from stump to stump like leaping frogs while the men sawed logs and hammered nails. Ladies brought covered dishes of food like potato salad, baked beans, and jello, and we had a picnic at lunchtime. It was a community thing, a gathering of friends, and to this day, I still feel carry the feeling with me. In those times and moments, despite the Depression, we thought we had the best of life, and in a way we really did. Life was simpler. We knew how good it felt to be neighborly, to share our lives with each other. The national economy was shredded due to the crash of 1929, but in our area, including parts of Missouri, Oklahoma, Kansas, and Texas, the problem was exacerbated by what was known as the Great Dust Bowl. Continuing droughts had dried up the earth, and the fierce winds picked up the defenseless soil and made huge clouds of thick, swirling dust. Visibility often shrunk to a few yards. Most skilled and determined farmers in, uh, were humbled before its wrath. The nutritious topsoil was all blown away and agriculture came to a screeching halt. 
At the time, I didn't understand it, but it's crystal clear to me now that our economy and our environment are interdependent. When the environment at that time was destroyed and the farmers could no longer farm, they weren't the only ones who suffered. The economic disaster for the farmers spread like a raging virus to carpenters, plumbers, shop owners, and even bankers. Okies by the thousand piled whatever possessions they could salvage into cars, trucks, any jalopy that would run, and headed for California, which Dust Bowl victims considered to be the land of milk and honey. Perhaps the only one who profited from the Dust Bowl was John Steinbeck when he wrote The Great Grapes of Wrath. Because of the Dust Bowl, our farm was not financially successful. It certainly helped to feed the family, but the extra income my folks had hoped it would generate did not materialize. Mom, always trying to find a way out, heard from neighbors who had fled the Dust Bowl in our devastated economy earlier that the strawberry picking was good in Oregon. There was money to be made just for the picking. So we gave up on the farm and moved back to my birthplace in Joplin, 619 Brownell, to get ready for the trek west. Furthest west I'd ever been was Blackwell, Oklahoma. Would I see a real-life cowboy? I wondered. What would Oregon be like? I might even see the Pacific Ocean. Our budget for the trip was minimal at best. Like the pioneers across the Great Plains 100 years earlier, we were obliged to carry our own supplies because motels and restaurants were out of the question. Unlike those earlier settlers, the horses that carried us were not hitched to a wagon, but were under the hood of a 1928 DeSoto. Our plan was simple. Mom, Howard, and Mary Ann, two years old by this time, Jerry, Denzel, Bell, and I would go to Oregon and pick strawberries and do what other jobs we could get. We would save our earnings and come back to Joplin in time for Howard and me to go back to school. Dad would stay behind, keep his job at the Empire District, and serve as a safety net for us. In case we broke down or got stranded, he could bail us out. Denzel was a carpenter by trade. He put his skills to good use. He built a, a, a cupboard on the back of old Betsy, our DeSoto, where we could store an ample supply of canned goods and food staples. By releasing a fastener, the backside of the cupboard opened up and a leg swung down to support it, and lo and behold, we had a table on which to prepare the food and off of which we could eat. We jammed the storeroom with supplies, gave old Betsy a final mechanical check, said our farewells, and headed west for the wild blue yonder. Although she never hinted at it, I'm sure Mom must have had a few qualms and trepidations. For me, it was the beginning, just the beginning of what I imagined to be a great adventure. We started out for Oregon in the late spring of 1934. In those days, there were no four-lane interstates, just two-lane roads that were often in need of repair and full of detours. Our top speed was 40 miles an hour, so driving to Oregon was no walk in the park. Not, a, not long after crossing into Colorado from Kansas, we could see on the horizon what looked like a triangular cloud. It was strange because, like the other clouds, moved, this one didn't budge. We used it as a guiding star for more than two hours before we realized it wasn't a cloud at all. It was the snow-capped top of Pike's Peak. As we drove deeper and deeper into the Rocky Mountains, I was moved more and more by their sheer beauty and breathtaking grandeur. It was awesome. I loved the majestic granite mountains, the tall pines, the quaking aspens, crisp, dry air. It was all very magical to me. I guess I'm back in Colorado today because I was so impressed with it as a child. I was not only impressed by the beauty, but by what it had to offer. This was the first time I'd ever seen a real live working cowboy, and it was the first time I'd ever seen a real deer. We were driving over Wolf Creek Pass at dusk, coming around a bend, and there, right in front of us, was this wild deer running down the road in and out of the shadows. Book All the World's a Stage, Dennis Weaver's autobiography, the foreword by Tom Hartman.
Let's check in with Bob Nay with uh, Talk Media News and find out what's going on in the world today. Uh, Bob is the author of Sideswiped. This report brought to you by GoatsfortheOldGoat.com and Ellen Ratner's new book, Loving What You Do. Hey, Bob. Hello, Tom. How are you? I'm great, but I'll get better. Uh, cool. So so Rosenstein is going to wait until Thursday when he can sit to have a sit down with Trump or Trump is going to wait until Thursday to fire him or whatever. Is that is that the latest? Right. He uh, had contact with the White House and uh, everybody anticipated he would go over to be fired. But uh, he's been told that the president's in New York, of course, and we can get to that in a second at the U.N. And then when Thursday, when the president comes back, then they'll sit down, which is very fascinating because I'm more to believe uh, the side of what I heard in D.C. this morning, which was he was going to be fired today. Yeah. Uh, I don't know what type of personal conversation, you know, they're going to have with each other. But obviously, we all know that election night or the next morning, one of the two, the president will fire Sessions. So I'm just wondering, is this a sit with the president face-to-face, and the president's going to feel him out where he's at on all of this, with the president knowing that Rosenstein knows that Sessions is gone. We all know that. Right. Sessions is going to, There's something... Or is, or is Rosenstein going to go into the meeting with a wire? Well, <laughs> I, I thought about that. Everybody else has taped the president. Yeah, I, I, I kind of I thought about that. Amorosa did it. <laughs> right, right. <laughs> Right. And uh, Rosenstein's denying that he, you know, tried to get the, uh, you know, the staff to invoke the 25th or that he, you know, was wired saying those things. But yeah. it's it's just um, everybody knows the contempt that the president has for Rosenstein and they know the contempt he has for Sessions. So I think this is kind of fascinating. There had to be some kind of feel out between the chief of staff and Rod Rosenstein today that led to this this Thursday meeting. Yeah. And would General Trump Kelly. dare at this point in time to attempt to seek, you know, verbally, wired or not, especially not wired, any type of, you know, commitment out of Rosenstein? Because, look, Sessions is going to be gone. So are they kind of trying to send a signal, you can be the attorney general, but where do you stand on Mueller? Oh, that's interesting. That had not even occurred to me. Sure. Where does he stand on Mueller? Because well, he's look, signed off on every single one of these prosecutions that Mueller has done. Right, and he could be, the, but he could be the Attorney General because Sessions is the only reason Sessions is existing is because privately Lindsey Graham and a few of the senators said, "Okay, we're going to yield to you. You can fire him, but you've got to wait till the the night of the election or the the next day with the midterms." Right. That's that's a fact. They told the president that. Wow. So I'm just wondering if they're feeling them out, and then in that case. If, he's, if he doesn't seem like he's going to be conciliatory, they get rid of him, too. Yeah. And then they put two new people in, and then obviously they will most likely undo Mueller themselves. Yeah, and I'm thinking he's probably going to be reaching out to his U.S. attorneys, mm-hmm. um, you know, keeping in mind that Sessions was a U.S. attorney, Chris Christie was a U.S. attorney. Um, mm-hmm. You know, a number of uh, elected members of Congress were formerly U.S. attorneys, and they, sure. they can swim in political waters just fine, thank you very much. Uh, Adam, uh, what's his name from California, the guy on the Intelligence Committee, um, uh, was one, as I recall. And and then we get a couple of people whose names we don't recognize and who are going to be Trump functionaries. So anyway, what else is going on in the world, Bob? Well, the president of the U.N., I find this very interesting. Of course, he's going to give a speech tomorrow, which we know he will go after Iran uh, in, in light of this uh, you know, terrorist attack over there. Uh, Javed Zarif, who negotiated the Iran deal on behalf of Iran, 
uh, came out and said, you know, he knows that uh, these were forces uh, basically uh, backed by Saudi Arabia. And, of course, we back Saudi Arabia, so, you know, that's been right. thrown out there. I think the president will go kind of semi-wild on Iran tomorrow because I think the president's being led by the, you know, in military-industrial complex towards, uh, you know, and the Saudis and Israelis, et cetera, towards uh, doing something confrontational with Iran. You can just see it. You know, building. Yeah. So I think a lot of it's going to be there on that aspect of the president tomorrow. Today, Tom, very interesting. Uh, you know, the president may be using the UN right now to kind of take all the woes away, <laughs> you know, the Kavanaugh woes and everything, mm. try to get a little bit of publicity for a couple of days. Well, but, presidents traditionally do that when things are not going well, well domestically. They, they pull a little foreign policy of out of their back pocket. Yeah, you know, and Trump has been quite frankly, successful on that as he's went overseas, as, as yeah. brutal as he can be at some of those meetings. He's been successful. But this time he's addressing a high-level meeting on the global call to action of the world drug problem. And what I find fascinating about this, as we talk about doing something, especially about uh, you know, opiates and about opium, I find it absolutely amazing. The opium production's up. We went into Afghanistan. We could have uh, burned the fields, and we never did anyway. Right. So I, I find it quite well. No, we were we were we were actually uh, essentially bribing. The, I mean, that was the what northern sure. northern command or whatever it was called. Right. Uh, we were right. essentially bribing them by letting them keep you know stay in business. And this is after George Bush had actually you know paid them uh, what thirty forty million dollars to burn the fields, and, and it worked. You know, it, it dropped opium production to one sixth or one fifth of what it had been prior to that. Mm -hmm. um, it's pretty pretty amazing. What else is up, Bob? I found that uh, to be interesting. And then also the uh, U.S.-China trade war intensifies, but on another dilemma, the president's got a NAFTA dilemma because the trade watchers are calling September 30th the AMLO deadline. That's right. for, the, for the new leader of Mexico. Yep. So the president's got a little dilemma. Going. Yeah, he's got a, uh, he's got a Bernie, style style, Bernie Sanders-style yeah. uh, Democrat coming in as the new, you know, AMLO, as the new president of, of Mexico, and uh, it's going to be a whole new thing to reckon with. Bob Ney with Talk Media News. Thank you, Bob. Thank you. Thank you. Good talking with you. Thanks for listening to our podcast. Our podcasts are supported by advertising, and one of our advertisers is Harry's. By now, you probably know that I love shaving with Harry's. Nate uh, loves shaving with Harry's. In fact, everybody I know who's tried Harry's is like, whoa, this is incredible. You get an amazingly close shave with Harry's, a smooth, comfortable glide with their perfectly weighted razor. It's incredible. If you add Harry's Fantastic Smelling Shave Gel, you have the perfect recipe for the best shave you'll ever have. Harry's does all this and at a great price, too. They own their own world-class blade factory in Germany where they grind steel into sharp, durable blades that are made to last, and they pass the savings along to you. Don't confuse Harry's with those other pricey online brands that force you to subscribe. With Harry's, you can resupply whenever and however you want. Auto refills or one-off a la carte, your choice. And at just two bucks a cartridge, that's less than half the price of Gillette Fusion Pro Shield. For a limited time only, Harry's has a special offer for listeners of my podcast. New customers get $5 off a shave set from Harry's with the code TOM, T-H-O-M, at harrys.com. That means you get the starter set, the five-blade razor, weighted handle, foaming shave gel, travel cover, all for just three bucks, plus free shipping when you use the code TOM, T-H-O-M, at harrys.com. Join the millions of guys who've already switched, including me, and go to harrys.com today. Use the code TOM at checkout to claim your offer. Morris in Long Beach, California. Hey, Morris, thanks for listening to KPFK. What's up? Yes, Professor, listen, it's kind of rough, in my humble opinion, to impeach a United States president. But what about impeaching a uh, sitting chief justice of the Supreme Court? 
Uh, I think that might be a little bit easier to do. Kavanaugh is going to be approved, in my humble opinion, uh, because we are in a misogynistic environment. The president himself is a, of the same spirit. I believe he's going to be approved. But when the elections take place, and there is this blue wave, which I anticipate, I'm in agreement with that, I think the first step should be not impeaching uh, Donald Trump, but go after those chief justices on the Supreme Court. You start with Kavanaugh, and then you go with Thomas, and then you go with Roberts, and, and you get the Me Too movement now. You get the Me Too movement to do this because they want to protect protect themselves against the turning over of the road be Wade. Okay, so they've got to be the ones that are leading this movement. And let me end by saying this, uh, Professor. I got this from a book called White, uh, uh, let's see, uh, what is it called, White Protestant Nation, The Rise of the American Conservative Movement in this country. Whenever right. you talk about a conservative or whenever you're talking about a libertarian, you're talking about a godless people that only believe in cosmic materialism. They believe that religious faith is the worst curse of mankind. Just to give you an idea of who we're dealing with. So these people have no souls. So anyway, let's just go after these chief justices, impeach them. I think that's a lot easier than taking out a president. Thanks, Professor. You're welcome. Uh, Morris, I, 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 I hope that works. I, you know, it's, it's, it's the same you know, problem that you have with impeaching a president. It, you can do it with a simple majority. You can you can pass the impeachment resolution with a simple majority, or the articles of impeachment with a simple majority in the House of Representatives. But in the Senate, you need two thirds of the vote, and uh, that's going to be a really heavy lift. But your point is very well taken, uh, and thank you very much for it. Bill, watching Free Speech TV in Beaverton, Oregon. Hey, Bill, what's up? Hi, thank you. Um, I think when Trump pulled out of the Paris Accords, um, Europe should have turned around and imposed tariffs maybe even boycotted U.S. goods because they're not complying with the standards, you know, uh, that are necessary. Yeah, they didn't do that because, you know, the money count, money talks, right? Um, but, yeah. But, uh, yeah, I, I get what you're saying. And, and, uh, oh, and the other point, by the way, is that uh, Trump says he took us out of the Paris Accords, but we're actually still in them until... Until December, I don't know it's December of this year or the last December of his term in office. I think it's the last December of his term in office. I think that that, that you know, thing lasted for a certain number of years. And so basically, Trump can't stop it. He can simply say we're not going to renew it or continue to participate in it. But he's also, you know, reached out to all of his different, uh, uh, you know, federal government agencies, cabinet agencies, whatnot. And, uh, you know, got them messing with, uh, you know, we've taken climate change off the EPA website and stuff like that, the Interior Department. Bill, thank you for the call. I, you know, I don't think that Europe is going to save us. We've got to save ourselves. There's a lot going on here and a lot of intersecting pieces. Jane Mayer has a new piece out in The New Yorker today. Of course, you know, the one that's getting all the attention is the, the salacious one. It's about the, the second woman who has come forward and said that Kavanaugh pulled his pants down in front of her, essentially, in addition to a few other things. Her second piece, How Russia Helped Swing the Election for Trump, a meticulous analysis of online activity during the 2016 campaign makes a powerful case that targeted cyber attacks by hackers and trolls were decisive that Trump would not be president, Pence would not be vice president, Betsy DeVos would not be education secretary, Phil, you know, right on down the line, if it wasn't for a foreign government intervening in our electoral processes. That's pretty shocking. What do we do if we have a president who's not actually our president? 
Chauncey DeVega is on the line with us. He's a political essayist and commentator, contributor to Salon, host of the Chauncey DeVega Show podcast. ChaunceyDeVega.com, the website. You can tweet him at Chauncey DeVega. Chauncey, it's always great having you with us. Thank you for having me. My pleasure. Your most recent article over at Salon, or at least the most recent one that I've seen, is Donald Trump, Brett Kavanaugh, and hostile sexism a concept that shapes our moment. And, and before I start digging into this, I laid a lot on the table in the setup before I brought you in. Is there any place in particular you would like to start? Well, just thinking about what's happening in this trouble and tumult about Rosenstein and Trump firing him or not, what will happen? Folks need to keep their eye on the ball. On my podcast, I often say we have to maintain our perspective and search for a fixed point. What is this about? This is about chaos. Trump is a proto-fascist, American fascist, strives on chaos. So first reports are not to be believed. And always ask yourself, I tell folks this all the time on my podcast, always ask yourself, what is the bigger picture? Trump yeah. is a human chaos engine. So folks need to take a step back and connect the dots, as you and I like to say. There was a very chilling, uh, Louise and I went to see Michael Moore's movie over the weekend, and there was a very chilling moment in that movie, uh, uh, Fahrenheit 11.9, where somebody says there's this storm around Donald Trump, and then Moore plays this clip of Donald Trump saying, I am the storm, you know, with this look in his eyes like, oh, my God, I am the storm. Whatever success he's had in his life, that's how he's gotten there. In your conversations with David Smith, you got into the multiple issues about what motivated Trump voters. And we've, we've had this conversation in the past uh, in, in some ways, you and I, and, 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 and many others as well, that, you know, it wasn't this poor, insecure, financially insecure white people uh, that voted for Trump, by and large. It was people who share his biases and his bigotry. Absolutely. I mean, one of the narratives is these are poor, confused, white working class folks who, by the way, make on average about 73 grand a year. So they're not right. poor, that's for sure. And they were hoodwinked, bamboozled, confused. This is not who they really are. Well, as Sister Maya Angelou said, when someone shows you who they are, you better believe it. Yeah. These voters were conscious of what they were doing. They supported in a president who's racially resentful, who's bigoted, who's violent, who's a nativist. They voted for him for those reasons, not despite it. And what this new, I mean, very, very, very essential research um, by David Smith and Eric Hanley, who are at the University of Kansas, what this research does very rigorously, looking at a big data set, American National Election Survey, is to say, okay, how is this connected to sexism? How is this connected to other values about rage, anxiety about, quote, unquote, losing their country? And I think in this moment with Kavanaugh, with Brett Kavanaugh and America's rape culture in the White House, their concept of hostile sexism, where you have these mostly older white, both male and female, but mostly male in this case, Trump voters who are mad at women, who are upset at uh, changing America, it was both racism and sexism that put Trump in the White House. Yeah, and, and we saw this in Anita Hill in the way that she was treated during the Clarence Thomas hearings as well. So if Donald Trump is in the White House because of Russian involvement in the election. What do we do with that? What do we make of that? I mean, it's a, you, you, people say, oh, 25th Amendment, impeach him. But then you got Pence. Pence is there because of, because of Russian involvement also. If, well, if, first... if this book is accurate. Oh, absolutely. I mean, there's a phrase that others have used, and I'm going to start using it on a recurring basis to describe the Republican Party and Trump voters, just like Vichy France with the Nazis. These are Vichy Republicans. Mm. Right? They're basically supporting a, tra a traitorous, I would argue, and treasonous Republican Party, because it's not just Trump. We have all the public evidence of Russian involvement. And this new book, I mean, is just devastating. Again, anecdotes are not data. This is very, very rigorous work looking at all the data we actually know publicly about how the Russians 
use Facebook and other social media to shape the information space. This is cyber warfare. So what do we do when we have an illegitimate president, because Trump is illegitimate by all accounts, never mind his behavior since getting elected. I have called with many others for a general strike. I think people should stop going to work. I think there should be mass disruption. There should be folks engaging in nonviolent protest. We need to make life inconvenient. And one of the ways you do that is you take your money out of the bank. Go after Trump's corporate sponsors. But the American people are so overwhelmed, so numb, they're stuck in a state of learned helplessness. And I hate to say it, and I said this on previous conversations with you here, Trump wins in 2020 if he's not impeached because he has a diehard base of support who are part of a political cult. There's nothing this man can do. The Republicans have abandoned their responsibilities under the Constitution to provide any sort of balance to this man. And why is that? Because Trump is winning. He's doing everything that they want. And we need to emphasize that fact. This is not a disastrous president for these right-wing revanchists. He's their champion. Yep. Yeah, he gave them the tax breaks. He's giving them the pollution, you know, the increased corporate profits that come along with it, um, and all these other things. Um, your, your thoughts on Noel, uh, Noel Francisco replacing Rod Rosenstein, if that's what happens, and, uh, or what happens if Rosenstein has been fired or quits? Well, I mean... Mueller's already imperiled, but Mueller's a very, very smart man, and he's made sure that the states can proceed with prosecuting uh, Trump and obviously his associates for any crimes. But as I said, the American people need to be out in mass when Mueller is gone, because if Francisco's put in there, he's just basically going to hobble it. And this yeah. is just one more example of Trump challenging, if not breaking, the guardrails of democracy, which is the rule of law. And I'll make one other observation. I've said this repeatedly. I'm actually working on a piece for Salon about this. There's this narrative that we're in a constitutional crisis. That's, that's incorrect. We've been in a constitutional crisis since this man was elected, yeah. not before. And again, the mainstream corporate media is so obsessed with finding norma- normality. They're afraid to use the F word, fascism. They kept hoping that this man would pivot. They gave him billions of dollars in free advertising. We've been in a crisis for two years, and it's only going to get worse. I would submit to you, Chauncey, that we have been in a, in a, in a, 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 uh, in a constitutional crisis, uh, absolutely, since 1968 since the year that Richard Nixon reached out to the, to the South Vietnamese and said, if you will refuse to go along with the peace deal that LBJ has worked out with you successfully, now this was in August of 1968, uh, if you will refuse to go along with this deal, I will make you rich. And they said, okay, cool. And they refused to go along with the deal and the war went on for years and Richard Nixon became president. And, and it's the only reason that he was able to beat Hubert Humphrey is because he could shoot that down. And then again, uh, in, in 1980, when Ronald Reagan's campaign made a deal, Bill Casey made a deal with the Ayatollah, and now we have the former president of Iran, who was the president at that time, Bonnie Sauter, who in the, in the Christian Science Monitor, just coming right out and saying, you know, uh, Ronald Reagan cut a deal with the Ayatollahs. I know about it. I was there. They were there. And, you know, and that's how he beat Jimmy Carter. And then you've got, in 2000, George W. Bush. His brother knocking 60, 70, 80,000 African Americans off the voting rolls in Florida to get him within, within spitting distance of the election. And then a year later, when the vote is actually counted, we discover that the Supreme Court, which stopped the recount in, in Florida, had that recount continued through the, across the entire state, that Al Gore actually won the election. I mean, I think that we have been so up to our eyeballs in constitutional crisis since the Republicans decided in 1968 that the, the, the law doesn't matter, treason doesn't matter. This is just the logical extension of it all. Well, I mean, we're, this is, a, you know, as Noam Chomsky famously said, this is a corporate democracy. 
All right. So it's not a real people's democracy. And moving back to Michael Moore's new documentary, you know, there's great research. I think it's probably one of the most important pieces of research in the last decade, if not 20 years. Larry Bartels, uh, Martin Gillens out of Yale, looking at how elites in this country totally ignore, elected elites totally ignore the average American. Yeah. In Michael Moore's documentary, you can go across from gun control to health care to extending um, health care for all, the environment, cutting back this grotesque military budget, tax policy. The Republican Party and the Democrats are wholly ignoring the wishes of the American people. The American people are not center-right or conservative. The American people are we, the people, progressive liberals. Yeah. Right? They have a real view of what democracy should be, but the Republicans and the corporate Democrats ignore them. So well, this and country the- wasn't a democracy at the time of the founding. We're a democracy in progress, and we certainly have been derailed in the last 50 years. Yeah, absolutely. And, and this is the essence of the study out of Northwestern University that Page and Gillens did. Um, we had, I, I forget if it was Page or Gillens, but we had one of them on the show back you know, a couple of years ago when this came out, where they, they looked at, uh, since uh, I believe it was since the 1980s, it might be more recently, but they looked at public opinion versus what kind of legislation gets passed. And they found that the interests and desires of the top 5%, as I recall, correct me if I'm wrong on this. Yep, um, absolutely, yep. Yeah, the, the interests and desires of the top 5% were predictably enacted into law, something like on the order of 70 some odd percent of the time. Whereas the interests and desires of the bottom 95% of Americans, the probability of those being translated into law were uh, statistically equivalent to random noise. In other words, nobody's listening. Right in the political class, this is just this is a terrible thing. <laughs> We've got to take our democracy back. Chauncey DeVega, ChaunceyDeVega.com is the website. You can he can tweet him at Chauncey DeVega. Check out his podcast; it's great. And his most recent piece is in Salon. Chauncey, thanks so much for being with us. Thank you for having me. Always great talking with you. Jack in Menden, Nevada. Hey, Jack, what's up? Hi, thanks for taking my call. Um, I, I was. Listening to uh, one of the callers you had, she was talking about the age of graphene, and it reminded me of a paper I read years ago by a psychologist that talked about you are now what you were then, and it goes back to... Basically, people don't change that much throughout their lives. Is that what you're saying? No, at age at age 13, unless there's an epiphany, they use Reagan as an example of the family circle. When he was 13, that was it. Mom stayed at home, cooked the family circle. When he was a president, we didn't have that. We had broken families and families of all different types of adoptions and uh, separated marriages and remarriages. So it wasn't really that family circle. You know, there is this theory, and thank you, Jack, for the call. There is this theory that people don't change typically throughout their lives. And... I know that change is possible. I've changed in pretty dramatic ways throughout my life. And, and I know a few people who have, but it's, it's difficult. It takes time, it takes reflection. And the fact that it's so rare is why the main plot device of most movies and novels is that the protagonist, the lead character, changes. They have to change for us to love the movie or the novel. And why do we love that? Because it's so rare, but when it happens, it's so deep and consequential. So is Brett Kavanaugh the same guy he was when he was in high school? Apparently. It's going to take a lot more for us to find out. Anyhow, we'll see you tomorrow. Don't forget, democracy is not a spectator sport. Get out there, get active. Tag, you're it. You've been listening to Tom Hartman. For audio and video archives, visit TomHartman.com. 